Welcome to the Empowered Author Podcast. Discussion, tips, insights, and advice from those who've been there, done that. Helping you write, publish, and market your nonfiction book. Being an author is something that you've got to take seriously. I'm proud. I've written a book. What does the reader need first? What does the reader need second? What happens if you start writing your book before you identify your why? What's the problem with that? If you're an indie author, you take the risk, you reap the rewards, you are in charge of the decisions, you're the head of that business. Every emotion you're feeling when you're writing is felt by every other writer. The Empowered Author Podcast. Your podcast hosts are Bonnie and John Wagner Stafford of Ingenium Books. Something a little bit different on this episode. Uh, We hope you enjoy it. Um, When it comes to social media, authors are really no different from anyone else. If we want to raise awareness and engage in conversations with new people and new networks, we probably want to be active on social media. But what do you do on social media? What do you say to create, do you create posts using a carefully crafted persona or do you adhere to a rigorous campaign of authenticity? Like so much in the pub, in the publishing realm, the answer is that it depends. I have to read this whole thing over again because I've just got way too many stumbles. I'm going to, do you want me to, I'll just start again and you'll cut it out. You'll do your magic. Something a little bit different on this episode of the podcast. Yes, we're going to talk about social media, but we're going to take it more broadly focused uh, and talk about uh, authenticity and whether you need to be careful and how you need to be careful when you're crafting your social media messages. Because when it comes to social media, authors are really no different from anyone else. If we want to raise awareness and engage in conversations with new people and new networks, we probably want to be active on social media. So what do you do and what do you say? Do you create posts using a carefully crafted persona or do you adhere to a rigorous campaign of authenticity? Or do you be very cautious about the opinions that you share. Well, like so much in the publishing realm, the answer is that it depends. But there are some recent and illuminating cautionary tales, and that is what we're talking about today. I'm kind of excited about today's guests. We have Morgan Gray. He's just a regular guy. He's a radical Toronto Raptors basketball fan and overall sports enthusiast. He is a consumer of society, culture, and sports podcasts, and occasionally has broader insights that offer us a different window on how we interact with the world. And something you should know, Morgan is also my son. Hi, Morgan. You're welcome. So fun. Now, um, we we are talking about this social media thing, and I wanted to give uh, uh, just a bit of background on how this whole thing came about. I was up in Vancouver uh, visiting you several weeks ago, and while you were doing the dishes in your kitchen, you had a podcast on, and they were started talking about book reviews of all things, which led to a whole discussion of a bunch of things that you had been hearing on some of the podcasts that you listened to. And I was, of course, immediately seeing parallels to the world of the indie author 
Um, and so one of those things, the themes that emerged in what we were talking about was social media. You remember those conversations, right? So when it comes to authenticity, being who you really are on social media, we've got a couple of kind of incredible examples uh, to talk about that in case you're tempted to try to be somebody that you aren't when you're on social media, and that includes putting forward a an author persona, which, you know, lots of authors do. It's their brand and they want to adhere to, to the author brand that they've cultivated. But authenticity, I think, is still important. So, Morgan, tell me the story of um, Brian Colangelo. Brian Colangelo was a uh, general manager for a professional MBA team. Uh, and through some amazing investigative journalism by The Ringer, it was discovered that Brian Colangelo, uh, who has an official Twitter Brian Colangelo account, also was discovered to have uh, created some fake or burner accounts where he was giving his true opinions on players and transactions um, that were happening in, with his team specifically and all over the NBA that came to light. And he subsequently lost his, his job once those things came out. And, and for those that don't know who Brian Colangelo is, uh, tell us a little bit about that. And, and we first became aware of Brian Colangelo, that is you and I, when he had a role with the Toronto Raptors. Yes. Yeah. He's been, a uh, his father is, uh, hugely famous. I forget his father's first name, but, uh, another Colangelo uh, has been instrumental in the development of the NBA and is heavily involved with uh, USA basketball. Um, and Brian Colangelo is something of a lifer uh, in the NBA. Uh, and, and he was famous in Toronto for having the largest Italian, thickest collars uh, we've ever seen on a dress shirt. Um, Rivaling even Don Cherry's. Correct. So what was it about these burner accounts that got Colangelo in trouble? Was it the fact that they were burner accounts or, or specifically what was the issue? Uh, I think the issue was specifically he was saying disparaging things about players that he had under contract with his team. Um, and I think specifically for the NBA, the reason why this is so troublesome is, is uh for contract negotiations and player value. So he was saying things about players on his team from these burners accounts, uh, questioning their work ethic and, and things like that, which would be incredibly harmful for the player in future negotiations. Um, and of course, all the NBA players have paid representation. Uh, so the things that general managers uh, say and do that are public facing generally are pretty buttoned up um, because similar to politics, there are far reaching um, consequences for the things that they say in terms of how their players feel about them, uh, contract values of players and, and that type of thing. Yeah. And so in the, in the world of, uh, of an author, this you know, the, the, the ramifications of, uh, what they say on social media, uh, 
may have broader consequences, or not broader, but larger consequences for them if they are employed by someone else. And if the subject matter of your book or books and your opinions as an author vary uh, in a significant way from your employer. So that that is one scenario that we, we also have indie authors who are totally self-employed and they and they don't necessarily have that conflict uh, with with a different employer. But I think things still um, things can still happen if you're not careful about what you say. Now, we took to um, social media just before in the in the couple of days before we're recording this podcast and we were asking um, if people had suggestions about what authors need to think about when they're going to post on social social media, um, both from an authenticity perspective. Uh, one of the things from the at Inside Your Head account on Twitter, uh, the comment was, social media needs to be genuinely social. You don't want to have endless buy my book posts that are a total turnoff and lead to unfollows. And that's true. We still, of course, do want to talk about the book and raise awareness about the book, but I think that engagement um, engagement piece is important to remember, but you need to be careful. So an engagement in this environment, and I'm going to lead you, Morgan, into the next story, um, that engagement notion in social media, which has become increasingly polarized uh, over the last uh, several years, uh, can be a, a, a bit of a minefield if you want to engage with people of like-minded views. That's one thing, but again, that can get you in trouble. And I was drawn uh, recently, and Morgan, you and I talked about the story of Eric Coomer, and it's a bit of a dramatic story. Um, but but tell us about uh, about that one and what you learned there. Let's pause for a moment for a message from our sponsor. E.M. Tippett's Book Designs specializes in quality, upmarket formatting, meaning we convert your Word document into an ebook, paperback, or hardcover. Your book will be functional, and it will look as good as or better than any book from a major publisher. Check out our portfolio at emtippettsbookdesigns.com. That's E-M-T-I-P-P-E-T-S-bookdesigns.com. Now back to the podcast. Well, Eric Coomer was someone who worked for a um, essentially a, a voting systems company, um, so not even a, a public-facing person who who was involved in the programming of the ballot machines used all over large portions of America. Uh, and he had, prior to the disputed election by Trump, uh, posted some some very anti-Trump sentiment privately to his Facebook friends with his, his Facebook privacy settings, you know, friends only in terms of what he thought he was sharing with people. Uh, and he got caught up in essentially a conspiracy theory uh, where, where a, a right-wing radio host dropped his name as being Antifa uh, and associated with them and implicated him in the stealing of the election. And it, and it changed this man's life. He, he basically had to go on the run uh, and eventually reached some kind of agreement to leave the company that he'd been working for 
um, just because of the firestorm that it had created for themselves and for him. Yeah, and that was uh, that had more more broad reaching consequences for Mr. Coomer than uh, than just getting in trouble with his employer. And uh, anybody that's interested in learning more about um, Mr. Coomer and and that story, there's a um, podcast of uh, the New York Times, The Daily, uh, on this one. You could listen to um, to that, and it'll give you the full background, but. Let's talk about what this, you know, what the implications are for this type of thing. There, there are other examples in the sports world of of people participating in social media with accounts that are you know, they're concealing their true identity. But Morgan, what do you think this all means? What does it mean for our use of social media, and what does it do for our trust? Um, you know, I would say for me personally, I have very little trust for social media. I basically stopped using all social media because of my lack of trust in, in, you know, the transparency of the specifically Facebook, but of, uh, you know, how the data is being used and how secure is it really. Um, and, you know, for me, I, uh, you know, I'm a happy employee and and not trying to build a business or a brand and need to market or create engagement. So it was a pretty easy choice for me to scale back a lot on my personal social media use. And, you know, as someone looking at it from the outside, I think you have to decide if your social media is going to be a part of your business. And if it is so, you need to you know, very consciously craft and edit and self audit, you know, what you're putting out there for people, um, which I think is, you know, the, the heart of the debate that we're having now. And I, and I think, you know, the things that you're putting out there, if you're not comfortable saying them in, in out loud in public to strangers, you know, is probably a good litmus test for what you should be comfortable putting, you know, out there on social media. Cause at this point we've discovered that, um, you know, it's out there forever and, and it can reverb and, and get bounced around and taken to a lot of places that you may not have intended it to go. Yeah, that makes sense. So we we talk a lot in uh, at Ingenium Books and, and uh, we've got a couple of blogs and a recent podcast about about how to use social media and not every we, we don't ever advocate that every author should, for example, but it's it's a little bit uh against the grain to remove yourself from social media so i'm interested in this how you know as i'm someone who i've got several social media apps and i'm in and out of them several times a day and we use it to engage with our authors and people who might be our authors so how do you get your information how are you connected with what's going on in the world if you're not on social media and i i mean it sounds like a silly question but i'm i'm serious yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple um, places and personalities and publications that I check regularly. And, you know, here in Canada, the CBC is definitely a place I go to get my news. And there's a couple um, sports places and websites that I like to check that also cover pop culture. And, 
and that's really it. And, you know, the things that are really big and important in the world kind of make your way to them. And I still interact with people who use social media. My wonderful girlfriend uses social media. So I do still have to watch the occasional TikTok here or there. <laughs> um, so I do. It's not that I, you know, avert my eyes anytime there's a screen on that's got a social media on it. Right. Okay. I wanted to uh, get you to tell me one more little story, if you could, and that is uh, it's kind of related to the same theme that we've already been on, but it was with respect to Kevin Durant. And uh, tell us who Kevin Durant is and what happened to him. Kevin Durant is probably one of the, or what will be one of the top five NBA players of all time when everything's all said and done. And he got into similar hot water that Brian Colangelo did uh, in terms of he was discovered that he had a, a fake Twitter account that he was um, using to, uh, for a large part, go after people that were adding his, uh, his real or, or public-facing Twitter account um, to argue with them about the points that he felt but that he couldn't address as public Kevin Durant. Um, but obviously he understood that um, he couldn't be 100% transparent um, with these people, you know, making money from endorsement deals as he does, um, but still felt driven to interact with them because he'd seen them and was obviously bothered by the comments. Um, and I think it's it's was something he was ridiculed for a little bit. He didn't lose his job, of course. Um, and I don't know whether that speaks to him not really being in a position to affect other people's value or whether his value was just so high that he was deemed irreplaceable and the scandal wasn't enough to to drive his value to a point that would have been negative in the team side. Yeah, and maybe a combination of both. So he's in a different kind of leadership position because of the uh, role that he plays on the team, but he probably scores just enough points where the team would lose more than they would gain by letting him go. And to be fair, there was nothing on uh, that I saw that um, was shocking in terms of his comments that wouldn't have been just regular sports banter for just two members of the public. Uh, Which is different than what happened to Colangelo. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what else are you hearing um, in your consumption of, uh, of pop culture stuff? And I know you, you're a particular fan of the Ringer series of podcasts, so we're going to give them credit where credit's due, but uh, some fascinating stuff that those folks get up to. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, especially the press box, I think, was the one that you and I were listening to that, that started this conversation. And I think it's interesting to see, um, you know, the in particular, the Jeopardy host search and how there have been multiple hosts that have been chosen. And then the Internet has decided to and, and the public has decided to go back and vet their previous social media um, posts and, you know, tweets and, and all that type of stuff. And there's been a couple of people that have been announced as the host and then kind of unannounced as the host for things that they've said um, that certain groups have found, you know, to be uh, not to their liking. And I think it's interesting how, um, you know, things 
that you posted five, six, seven years ago, maybe the public discourse has changed, but you and I are seeing it for the first time in 2021, but you said it in 2003. I don't really get that context. All I see is your name attached to this quote. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's really important is that we may not think that something is an issue at the time that we're writing it. But as you say, times changed. Times change. The profile of the author changes. In 2003, maybe they were nobody, but now they're not nobody and they've, you know, got a particular following or they're asking people to spend money on something they've created, intellectual property, as is the case with, uh, with authors. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's fascinating. Um, again, for authors, this is... We see so many independent authors who want more. Uh, they want a bigger audience. They want to cultivate more influence. And they want to use social media in order to do that. And I think this is, you know, this kind of conversation and being able to think about the world in which you are interacting in a way to, to be um, cognizant of what the risks can be is, is, uh, is important. Um, I want to go to another comment that we had from, uh, from one of the Ingenium books authors, actually, uh, this question that we posted on the Ingenium books, Facebook page with respect to how much thought do you give to what you are about to post on social media? Uh, and Gwen Titro, whose book is in the thick of it, Mastering the Art of Leading from the Middle, she said, the one thing that comes to mind for me when it comes to participating in social media is that whatever I put out there, I can't take back. It's out there and accessible to just about everyone and for a long time to come. My lesson from that is to be myself, yes, but to think about my impact and how it will serve my purpose before hitting the enter key. Things said in haste or out of an immediate emotional response can come back with a nasty bite. Wise words indeed. We, uh, I was aware of another author, um, and John and I talked about this a while ago when we saw it go by. There was an author on Twitter who was having an interaction. It was, of course, during one of the most recent U.S. election campaigns. Uh, this author was having a debate with somebody else, and they had differing political views. And 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 th this author actually used the F word, you know, F, F off uh, on Twitter. And I was like, oh, yeah, drop the F-bomb. And... Um, so, you know, I think that's an example of when it's one of those emotional responses in the moment dri driven to, you know, when, who knows what the, whether there was any negative fallout for that author trying to get uh, attention for, uh, for the messages in, in, uh, in their book is, you know, I don't know, I don't know what that was. Um, I think we're seeing from, from Coomer's story who is not a public-facing person, and if you're an independent author that's decided to be a public-facing person to further promote, you know, your writing and, and your particular project, um, I would I would I would feel pretty comfortable saying unless you are a political author, you should be avoiding political topics. Basically. Um, you know, grandstanding for your side. You never know who who 
who's reading what you're going to say. And I think um, just like your neighbors, don't discuss politics with them or with your with your following, because no matter which way you go, half of the people are, are going to dislike what you have to say. And I, I think you probably want to be striking a chord with more than 50 percent of your audience to be effectively marketing to them. Yeah, I think that makes sense, unless you are purposely only cultivating an awareness with that particular, you know, if you had written a book that espouses one particular view. But I think the point that you're making is is an important one. Are you in the space? Are you, are you, is your book or your books uh, about the public arena, uh, the political arena? And are you taking a, uh, a view on one side of the debate or another? And I think that also helps drive some of that conscious decision making before you go ahead and, uh, and, and create your posts. Um, any last thoughts, anything else that's popped into your head, uh, Morgan, that we didn't cover before I wrap us up? Um, yeah, I would say, you know, if we look at the story of Brian Colangelo and Kevin Durant, these are people who obviously realize they can't be um, 100% transparent on social media um, and have millions of reasons to not be still feeling the need to um, interact authentically um, with social media. Um, and so I think it's really a balancing act that people need to strike in terms of you need to be authentic because if you're inauthentic, it's going to shine through, um, but you do not need to be transparent. Awesome. Yeah. Very well said. I agree 100%. And, uh, that's a great place for us to wrap up this very special episode of the Empowered Author Podcast with our very special guest, Morgan Gray, who's just a regular guy that consumes uh, pop culture and happens to be my son. So fun, fun, fun. Thanks, Morgan, for joining us. Yeah, and we'll, we'll invite you back again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Empowered Author Podcast, please feel free to share it on social media. We'd also be very grateful if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the Empowered Author on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you access your podcasts. That's helpful for us, but more importantly, it's helpful for other indie authors who are looking for resources to help them on their continuous learning journey.